Hello everyone and welcome to our e-renew review regional roundtable series brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. My name is Nuno Gouveia, partner with Miranda Yassiage. DLA Global Employment Law e-review series is classically our most popular series of the year, focusing on the most impactful regulations of past year and forecasting what employers can expect in the current year. Today, we are going to be chatting with Sean Gaffney, Senior Associate at Moments. Thank you for joining us, Sean. How are you today? Hi, Nuno. Thank you very much for having me. I'm well, thank you. Okay, good. So, Sean, the first question that I have to you is, what were the most significant legal changes in 2022 that impacted employers in your jurisdiction? Thanks, Nuno. So, I think one of the most significant legal changes that sort of stood out for us in 2022 was definitely our code of good practice on the prevention of elimination of harassment in the workplace, which I'll refer to as the harassment code, which came into effect on the 18th of March, 2022. So previously we had a sexual harassment code, which only dealt with how to deal with sexual harassment in the workplace. But now we have the harassment code, which goes much further than just sexual harassment. So it talks about bullying. It talks about victimization. It talks about racial abuse. It just goes much further than just sexual harassment. The code places various obligations on employers, including the requirements to conduct a risk assessment and to implement an harassment policy, and as well as to conduct awareness training initiatives for employees in the workplace. An employer's compliance with these obligations is taken into account when determining the employer's liability in terms of the Employment Equity Act. So with this code, there's been a number of new requirements that have introduced and that our, our clients have had to grapple with. And you know, in response to that, we prepared a harassment prevention pack, which actually includes guidance on the training, on the risk assessment, as well as a template policy, which, which our clients have, have found very useful. Very interesting, Sean. Well, have there been any leadership government changes that have impacted on your jurisdiction or are you anticipating any in 2023? So there weren't any significant changes in 2022. As for 2023, our ruling party, which is the African National Congress, had their 55th elective conference. And during this conference, you know, based on what was discussed, we do anticipate a cabinet reshuffle to take place during the course of 2023. So that is when our, our president removes ministers that are placed in certain sectors to manage certain sectors. This cabinet reshuffle is expected to address, you know, many of the shortcomings and issues that South Africa currently faces. But our actual government's national election only takes place in 2024. Okay, potential bigger news in South Africa then. Well, how is your jurisdiction tackling hybrid, work from home, return to office? and our cross-border remote work, meaning the work-from-anywhere programs, which is always a hot topic. Yeah, no, this is definitely one of the most relevant topics that has come up both in 2022 and what we, we anticipate for 2023. So I understand that some international companies are, are now actually pushing forward full return to the workplace, but it seems that the global trend, well, at least for South Africa, will likely see the biggest users of offices opting for a hybrid working model with many employers requiring non-client-facing employees to come into the office sort of three or four times a week with one or two remote working days, which are designated by the, the employer themselves or elected by the employee. 
And I think that this approach strikes a balance between, you know, maintaining physical engagement between colleagues, both old and new, and maintaining company culture, whilst at the same time allowing employees some flexibility during their work week and, you know, an improvement in sort of their work-life balance. This hybrid approach is particularly apparent in our financial services sector, which is one of our, our biggest occupiers of office space in the country. And Bowman's also have the hybrid working model at the moment. So we come in three days a week and we, we can work remotely two days a week. And, and this is working well for us so far. I think that despite the benefits and the attraction of flexible working, this has definitely not been without its challenges to our clients and employers in South Africa. We actually had a client breakfast engagement in December last year where we sort of invited our clients to put forward some of the challenges they've been facing. And one of the biggest ones was sort of the reluctance of employees to come back to the office. And even in circumstances where they're only required to come in three or four days a week, just the general lack of reluctance to come in at all after having been at home for the, you know, the two years during the pandemic. Some of the other difficulties are sort of employee engagement and measuring outputs while employees are working remotely. So a lot of our clients are struggling with, you know, getting hold of employees while they're working remotely, responsiveness, and, you know, how to effectively manage their performance because they're sort of not in sight. So although it is seen as a major attraction and, and definitely from a recruitment perspective, it's setting employers apart in South Africa in terms of attracting, um, you know, key skills and talent. One of the most questions that come up is, you know, do you have a flexible working policy, especially, especially the, the younger generation? I would definitely ask that question. But there are, are some implications, you know, for employees to consider when moving to sort of a remote working model. And, and that's, you know, like your car and travel allowances and protection for information security, how to manage your proprietary information, you know, whilst the employee is working from home and your intellectual property. They're also, employers also, well, particularly in South Africa, are grappling with, you know, personal expenses, you know, access to sufficient internet and equipment for employees to effectively perform their duties from home. Do employers have a duty to provide their employees with that equipment and that infrastructure? I mean, we're currently in the midst of, a, of an energy crisis with sort of being switched off for eight hours a day. And, you know, then are employers obliged to give their employees sort of inverters to keep them on. So those are some of the difficulties that our clients are facing at the moment. And, you know, I think it's for some of these reasons that there are some employers who are trying to get their employees back full time in the office because it's just, you know, sometimes just easier, easier to manage. But for the most part, the hybrid working model is definitely one of the most popular. In respect of your more cross-border remote work, this seems to be less common in my experience in South Africa at the moment. This may be to, due to the, you know, the tax or permanent establishment risks that come with allowing employees to work in other jurisdictions, you know, for length of time or on a permanent basis. We have ever seen some of our global clients who have adopted a work from anywhere for a certain period policy. So this policy essentially allows employees to pick a country to work for, for, you know, a period between two weeks to a month which I think serves to strike a balance between allowing them that flexibility to travel and work anywhere in the world, but also mitigating the risk in terms of, you know, any tax consequences, employment consequences, or permanent establishment consequences that may arise if the employee is there for, for too long. So I think in short, remote work has pros and cons for employers and employees alike in South Africa. 
and has definitely become a prominent working model in the receiving pandemic world. I think a good place to start in bringing the benefits of, of the remote working model to the fore while still managing the challenges that come with them is for employers to, to develop a detailed remote working policy to regulate these working arrangements and to ensure that employees are aware of the guidelines that govern the arrangement. Wow, Sean, very interesting news from South Africa indeed. Well, what are your predictions then for 2023? Employment law updates, changes anticipated to have the biggest impact on HR? Sure. So I think one of the, the biggest changes that we anticipate in 2023 is in relation to our new transformation laws, which are anticipated to come into operation in September this year. So our primary transformation legislation is our Employment Equity Act. To give you some background, the Employment Equity Act is to promote equal opportunity and fair treatment in employment, you know, through the elimination of unfair discrimination, implementation of affirmative action measures to redress the disadvantages in employment experienced by certain groups, and to, you know, ensure that there's equal representation in all occupational levels in the workforce. So the government has recently passed the Employment Equity Bill. It was passed on the 17th of May. 2022, and it's it's currently awaiting assent by the president. Essentially, the Employment Equity Amendment Bill has been introduced to regulate sector-specific employment equity targets and to regulate the compliance criteria to issue employment equity compliance certificates. So designated employers are required to comply with certain obligations in terms of the Employment Equity Act and need to comply with certain requirements to get this compliance certificate. This means that organizations, especially those that do business with the state, will have to be in good standing when it comes to compliance with employment equity. One of the key aspects of the changes in the law relates to the definition of a designated employer. So as our Employment Equity Act currently stands, a designated employer is an employer that employs 50 employees or more, or an employer that employs fewer than 50 employees but has an annual turnover that is equal to or above a certain amount determined by the Act. So when the bill comes into operation, the definition of a designated employer will be limited to those employers, the larger employers who employ 50 employees or more. The relevance of your annual turnover will will no longer be applicable. And this means that employee fewer than 50 employees, irrespective of their turnover, will no longer be designated employers, which means that we'll be exempt from complying with certain provisions. So I'm sure some of the employees in South Africa will welcome this. This is quite a significant change, though, as certain companies won't be required to implement certain affirmative action measures, as was previously required. For big businesses that fall under the definition of a designated employer, though, the most impactful change is the empowerment of of our employment and labor minister to regulate sectorial employment equity targets and the compliance criteria. So what this means is that our Minister of Employment and Labour will have the ability to identify national economic sectors and set numerical targets for each sector. While these targets are not yet known, um, there have been engagements and it is expected that you know, the list of sector targets will be published for, for public comment in due course. Um, what this means is that employers who employ 50 employees or more will have to keep a close watch on the regulations that the Minister puts in place as it will have a, a significant practical impact um, on the way that they are compliant with the Act. One of the other key changes is the introduction of criteria to be met by an employer in order 
or certificates of compliance to be issued by the Minister of Employment and Labour. Such certificate will be required in order for employees to actually conclude agreements with the state. So those are sort of the key amendments that they come from the bill, and employers will need to review the employment equity plans to ensure that the numerical targets and goals do align with these targets that are, are going to be published by the minister and where they do not, they need to have a, a reasonable justification. Quite relevant changes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I mean, another one that is anticipated is sort of an increase to our, our national minimum wage, which is anticipated for March this year, considering the current high cost of living and you know and the rising global inflation and hiked interest rates. So this is still being discussed by our National Minimum Wage Commission, but there is some, some talk that there may be a just to, to the rate. Quite relevant. Very big news from South Africa. Well, folks, this is all the time that we have today. Thank you for tuning in. And I hope that this has been as insightful for you as it has been for me. Many thanks to, to Sean. Sean, pleasure having you. Thanks, Nino. Thanks very much for having me. Well, if you would like to connect with Sean, please click on her bio in the description of this podcast. We also encourage you to reach out to any of our lawyers around the world by selecting Find a Lawyer on the ELA website at ELA.org. Information about all of the programs available in 2023 Year in Review series can be accessed in the notes of this podcast. You've been listening to the Year in Review Regional Roundtable, a series brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the world. I'm Nuno Gouveia. Thanks for listening.